Hello, welcome to Faithfully Memphis. I'm the Reverend Lisa McIndoo, Rector of Church of the Holy Apostles in Collierville and part of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Faithfully Memphis comes to you every Thursday at 8 a.m. broadcast from WYXR 91.7 in Memphis. Today and every episode, we speak with interesting people and learn about the intersections of faith and life. We've just begun a new series called Behold It Unveiled, exploring the intersection of art and creativity. And it is sure to inspire and delight you, as I believe all art is created by God to do. I want to start today with an observation and a meditation. I had the amazing opportunity to travel to Holland and Belgium a few weeks ago, and I was so absolutely blown away with the beauty of the churches and convents and the sacred artwork that we encountered. I had the opportunity to see the Ghent altarpiece, one of the most coveted and stolen pieces of art in the world. And if you haven't seen the Monuments Men movie, please do. The altarpiece plays a role in the film based on a true story of World War II. The altar masterpiece by Jan van Eyck was magnificent. And I got to say it, it was one of those times in my life that I've had what I consider to be a mystery experience in its presence. Most of the art we encountered on our adventure was from a group of pre-Renaissance painters called the Flemish Primitives, and it was 99% religious in nature. And all of the depictions, out of all of them, of the, the sacred stories and characters, the subject that was the most stirring for me was that of the Virgin Mary whether in paintings or sculpture. A lot of the cities in that part of the world claim Mary as their patron, including Bruges, where we stayed for a couple of days. Walking around that really kind of magical town, we saw these little niches on almost every building with stone or ceramic reliefs of the Virgin Mary, and she was always holding an infant Jesus. Many of the niches had the words, Now, my Latin is not very good, so please, you know, excuse me, but the words in the Nietzsche's were monstra te esse matrum. And I looked it up and it says to show yourself to be a mother or our mother. And there's several variations of translations that I've found. Monstra, the word monstra can also be translated to demonstrate, but that sounds so harsh. I like the translation of monstra here to be show. It's like the Catholic or Anglo-Catholic ornate pieces called a monstrance that sit on an altar with a tiny window big enough for a blessed wafer in them in order for the faithful to venerate the body of Christ by it being shown to them. Anyway, when I first read monstra te esse matrum, I took it as Show us how to be a mother, one like you, Virgin Mary. In other words, whether you are male or female, able to conceive or not, or don't want to, there is much to learn about motherhood from Mary, the mother of Christ. There is much to learn about selfless love, devotion, and servanthood. 
there's much to learn about perseverance and patience and compassion. I think I'll always from now on look at art depicting the Virgin through that lens and continue to be inspired to be a mother, not only to my children, but to all of God's children, because that's what I think St. Mary is calling us to do. I mentioned earlier about seeing the Ghent altarpiece by Jan van Eyck, which was glorious. But another van Eyck version of Mary in the Groningen Museum in Bruges is just as awe-inspiring. And it features St. Mary on what looks like a throne surrounded by saints and patrons while infant Jesus balances happily on her lap. Instead of being stressed out about a messy baby in a room full of guests, Mary looks incredibly serene, the embodiment of peace. I remember being the mother of an infant. I don't think I ever looked like that. My hair was always completely messed up and there was spit up all over me. But I like to imagine that St. Mary was so in touch with her duty to God and to all of humanity that she could experience the peace of God that passes all my understanding for sure. And I love how Van Eyck lovingly paid homage to the mother of Christ, making her beautiful, but not unreal. Every detail of her garment so lifelike, every hair painted in fine detail as if the painting was a prayer. And to look at his artwork is to see something of God's magnificence. Mary's feast day was August the 15th. And we celebrate her in our Episcopal tradition. Some parishes more than others, but we do have a guide and several church resources. Today, I'm using a book called Holy Women, Holy Men that says in it about Mary, Mary was the person closest to Jesus in his most impressionable years. And the words of the Magnificat, as well as her humble acceptance of the divine, will bear more than accidental resemblance to the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. Later, devotion has claimed many things for Mary, which cannot be proved from Holy Scripture. What we can believe is that one who stood in so intimate a relationship with the incarnate Son of God on earth must, of all the human race, have the place of highest honor in the eternal life of God. A paraphrase of an ancient Greek hymn expresses this belief in very familiar words. Oh, higher than the cherubim, more glorious than the seraphim, lead their praises, alleluia. The collect for St. Mary the Virgin, mother of our Lord Jesus Christ says, O God, you have taken to yourself the blessed Virgin Mary, mother of your incarnate Son. Grant that we who have redeemed, been redeemed by his blood, may share with her the glory of your eternal kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
I have a very special guest with me today, Casey Jordan. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Casey's a visual and theatrical artist and an Episcopalian. Maybe some of you have read about him on the blog at edwtn.org. But I would like, Casey, for you to tell us about you. What is your story? Oh, man. Um, so I think where I am right now, which is important to preface this um, with, is in a transitional phase of really figuring out what the relationship is for me and my own hands and my brain when it comes to um, art with the church. And that's genuinely been my path up until this point <clears throat> in one aspect or another. I was born and raised a Southern Baptist in um, West Tennessee in Henderson. I grew up with a 
very close knit family, which is um, very grateful that I still live very nearby family and they've facilitated a, um, a world in which I can do art and, and have been able to study it. But I was, I, I feel the need to say this as well about salvation in general. I was seven when I was saved by Baptist standards, fell out of the church as I became an artist and decided I wanted to go into musical theater because to a teenager, those two cannot coexist in the same world. Um, but I, I went to college at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, um, got a degree in acting with an emphasis in musical theater, and it truly was my heart and soul. It, it was for many, many years. Then I moved to New York City after I graduated, lived for four to five years, um, did an off-Broadway show called Sleep No More, which is based on Shakespeare's Macbeth. Um, came back home to Tennessee. Now I work for an attorney's office with um, a specialty in getting people their social security disability. So, wow, yeah. But on on the side and in between everything is the um, is the art. And and right now, visual art and I have a bit of a new relationship. Um, but I'm really coming back to religion and the faith and scripture through the lenses of an artist now. And I'm finding that it has always been there, but I've never really read the scripture before and reading it as an artist is, um, it's so exciting. It really is. There's not a book that doesn't have an image to go with the imagination that's reading it. It, it really offers symbols with every single word. Song of Solomon has meant 12 different things to me from reading it repeatedly. Um, and I mean, I'd be happy to go into any of those details, but thinking of the relationship between our soul and Christ, it's been everything now. It, it influences all of art for me. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, you know, that makes me think of Pope John Paul II, who had um, written a letter to an open letter to artists and he was beloved for his sensitivity to the intersection of the sacred and the creativity of humans. And he said that in order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. Art must make perceptible and as far as possible attractive the world of the spirit, of the invisible, of God. It must therefore translate into meaningful terms that which is in itself ineffable. How does that resonate with you? Huge. It's really huge. And actually, I <clears throat> everything about that, that, that should that could be a part of every artist's manifesto, religious or not. And it art is proof that God is God. That and whether or not that makes rational sense. The act of doing something in order to inspire a greater love of beauty in myself is cultivating love of God, which the artist, um, the artist takes a really strong role when it comes to creating a language for the divine dialogue, because we don't have words to describe the soul. Um, so I think images and symbols continue to be more effective means when talking about matters of faith like the image of the cross, for example. Tell me a little bit about the image of the cross. I know that right now 
or since the conflict and war in Ukraine, you have been inspired to do a specific kind of art. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. The Anglican Rosary was something that I found out about by Googling things about the rosary. And me being an Anglican got very excited to know that we have our own iteration of that. But I actually, if you imagine the two of them side by side together, or actually if you take a bigger rosary, a standard one, a, a rosary of mother, and you place the Anglican rosary, which is fairly Jesus specific inside of it, it's really a perfect kind of concentric circle thing that happens. Um, I think the two can go hand in hand. I really do. But to put it quickly, the Anglican rosary has 28 prayer beads where the Catholic rosary has 53. So it was actually cheaper to make than a normal rosary. <laughs> um, I had started making them at the LGBTQ festival for St. Luke's in Jackson, Tennessee. And then I just got into the need to do more. And then the war in the Ukraine happened. And I found out actually in my studying of the Blessed Mother that she was the patroness, is the patroness of the Ukraine. But that country was the first one to publicly proclaim itself dedicated to her heart. Um, so at that point, I had just finished reading a series of volumes called The Mystical City of God. And it is by an older saint named, well, she's not a saint yet, but she is a blessed, venerable Mary of Agrida. And she wrote a four volume biography of the Blessed Mother and claimed it to be divine revelation. And it's been a subject of controversy, I think, for the Catholic Church even up until now, because I had never even heard of it. But this is truly an honest to God um, biographical series on the birth life of the Blessed Mother, the birth of her son, um, her relationship with the human beings that were in proximity to him up until she, uh, she experiences her assumption. And everything at that point felt to me like Mary had brought me back into the church and that Mary was directing me towards an occupation as an artist to glorify her child. And in so doing, try and weave together a bit more peace than what we've been finding. And so with the Ukraine, um, I, I felt like it was not just permission given from above, but, uh, but a command. I mean, I love the rosary, I can make a rosary. So I, instead of buying the beads, decided to do each of the beads by hand um, and I, I mean, there are thousands of them out there and it genuinely means that my hands were able to pray with yours. So that's oh, hugely that. important. I love that idea of making something that somebody else is going to touch. Mm. I mean, not only just experience yeah. to, to have their own devotional experience, but that they're going to touch like you're. you what you touch is what somebody else yes. is going to touch. And it makes you take account of every single individual rosary that you're making, it hurts to give it away. And I realized that's a part of this. I mean, doing something for genuine charity, you have to sink into almost a state of anonymity. If you really want to stay out of your own way, take joy in the work itself and be ready and willing to give it to the other period and then let it go. And that's still something I'm working with. Um, right. It's hard for an artist to do that. Right. It is. But 
it, it has been such a huge learning experience and continues to be because pride's coming up again here in the next couple of months and I've got to get back to, to weaving them again. So, wow. Yeah. Well, um, John Paul II also said, um, there's another quote that I think might apply to what you're doing. He said that art has a unique capacity to take one or other facet of the message of the gospel and translate it into colors, shapes, sounds, which nourish the intuition of those who look or listen. And I would add, or touch. Yeah. It does so without emptying the message itself of its transcendent value and its aura of mystery. That that art has the ability to do that. And I think that kind of resonates with me and what you're saying that when you create something, it it's an embodiment of something else. Yes. Yes. But it's also something that you you give away, it's a sacrifice, you're making it, you're giving it. And for it to come at least close to what your idea of perfection or the highest standard of it needs to be, you have to be solid on the intent from step one to the last step. Mm -hmm. You cannot falter with what the actual purpose of the thing was to begin with, mm -hmm. which in the case of the rosary for me was inner peace, outer peace, peace. It is, it is for peace. And I have a friend whose mother is Catholic. She's a Buddhist Catholic, best kind, okay. <laughs> a good kind anyway. And she said, any act of love is an act of peace. And I think that that's enough of a mantra for me to live by as an artist for quite a while. I mean, therein is the, is the love of neighbor and the love of God. So. Something that you just said made me think, you know, about peace and art and back to something that John Paul said that um, that art must make perceptible and and as far as possible attractive the world of the spirit. Yes. That peace to me, if I closed my eyes and you said you've got to visualize peace, it would be something really beautiful. And big. What's amazing oh. is that he describes it not as an object, but as a world. And yeah. that's actually, that's a, a, a creative thought that a lot of the saints who I'm very passionate about wrote on, namely Teresa of Avila, who wrote The Interior Castle. Mm -hmm. And it's not a concept that is only unique to her, even in the canon of saints, but to think about not just God as being an infinitely sized space, but actually that point inside each of us is that huge. It is that big. Our soul is an actual estate. Um, and to think of things as being that large by creating something that wasn't there before, the more I tickle the feeling that it's coming from inside of me, the closer it gets to being what I needed it to be, I think. So it, 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 it all comes out of the same place. It does. How well you execute it, I don't know whether or not that's good or bad, but how well you execute it um, would tell you what proximity you were in to that special point Yeah. while doing it. And does that make sense? It does make Ish. sense. My visual to that, I'm a very visual person, mm. so my visual as you're talking about that is 
back to a monstrance, mm. which I was talking about in my reflection, but a monstrance that's not the kind that sits on an altar that has like sun rays coming out of it, but it's, it's like in, in, in me. Yes. It's a window that's in me that goes, like goes to this. It's, oh, yes. it's the world of God and peace in me. And if I have that peace then I'm showing that to the world. I totally, totally agree. And it's, um, it is not a finite source. It is endless. Whatever that inspiration is for the artist or for the peacemaker or for the, you know, the diplomat or the, any, anyone, it is there for everyone for the taking to an infinite degree. And I, I would say that to any artist, and it's actually, it's very difficult for me personally. I am still finding my way as a person of faith who is very, very passionate about the arts. I'm careful with it because I know how many artists that are my friends from a theatrical background and a, and a current background and ongoing lifestyle right now are hurt by the church. So we do live in a world where art and the church are not technically right now being seen together, you know, going out and about. Um, I think that there is an establishment of, of that relationship, though, that has to happen again. I really do. Because it has been in the past, right? Oh, right? I mean, you, yes. you know. And then, extraordinarily enough, so many of the great pieces of art in the church have been executed by the hands of gay men. That, I mean, that would mean that the church's relationship with art had to have, by definition, been heretical. And yet it's still there. It's yeah. still drawing people in. Art kind of battles the idea of heresy to me, in fact. Mm. Art kind of puts it to bed in its way. Maybe there's a PhD in there somewhere. But I, <laughs> I feel very strongly that art being beyond any kind of language, even the language of the Bible itself, there is a um, there's a real opportunity for peacemaking right. in art. I mean, that could it can do some good. And I really see that in in all different kinds of mediums, sure. right? Mm -hmm. Because oh, yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking of you know visual arts, but I'm thinking of you know um, music and music. I yes. mean, music just transcend you know can really transport us to a place. Yes. Um, and can be you know, we in church, yeah. right? We listen to these hymns. It takes us to this place. I was at Swanee uh, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago for the choir. Mm -hmm. And um, I really, I can't explain things fully in words, but the chapel and singing the Magnificat, mm -hmm. I mean, my, my jaw was flabbergasted and open in the midst of all this stained glass. I've never fully felt the value of those chapels and the architecture and the and the art and the music until all of a sudden it all happened at one time and i mean i i felt very inspired after that week it's beautiful it's a very marian week absolutely yeah. that's a beautiful beautiful space yes it is meant totally. to hear that music yes absolutely yeah absolutely what is your what is your what's your favorite medium right now so right now I am actually, I brought it with me. It is a fountain pen uh -huh. and it is a, it, special because I was thinking about this um, just the last couple of days. 
my father had a fountain pen and I used to draw all the time while I was sitting in church. I mean, during church service, I always had a pad of paper with me. I was not listening to the church service. It was not anything right. that I would say was a divine communion. However, those symbols that I was playing with drawing in church at that point were a castle and a ship on the sea and a couple of other things that have kind of come right back into my artistic realm. I mean, it's the same stuff that I'm still drawing now. And I really, I believe in the power of um, meditation, obviously, but there's, for the artist, there's an extra purpose in meditating to obtain images. Mm. And I, I think it's really, it's become vital for me to establish a language um, as it pertains to art and God, that is, it can be diluted down to, to symbols and images. Yeah. And I, I feel like each person would have their own different vocabulary book because a fountain means something different to me than it does to you. Right, right. Um, but maybe there are some universal symbols in there too. So how do people, how do people tap into that, what we've, been saying dancing around what we've said yeah. how do people tap into that wellspring of god's creative nature of the inspiration within our religious experience how do we tap into that in a creative artistic sense i really love this question because it made me realize that it's curiosity for me if there is one door that is constantly open for a human being it is our curiosity and it it makes us put thoughts together. It makes us, it makes us form thoughts that we wouldn't have otherwise. It makes us meet people and meet cultures that we wouldn't meet otherwise. You know, as a Baptist, become an Episcopalian, I firmly believe that it was at the, the, the nudging of the Blessed Mother. I mean, I very much felt like my path to the Episcopal Church was one that <laughs> a very heavy Catholic doctrine actually led me into. So, I I see all of these things as an opportunity for um for unity, art especially in the church as an opportunity for unity. Absolutely. Which is the end all be all for the Christian. Yeah. Has to be. You know, I it's taken me a while, I guess, to be able to see the gospels in a in a sense of inspiring art oh and right other than that what yeah. john paul ii about the colors and the, yes, the yes. imagery that actually the gospels give you more than enough wordage to work with for an eternity on imagery i mean really right. it's endless inspiration right it and is. i i mean for me it's just taken me a while to be able to not see it as somebody else's art but to see yes. it as what is part of the wellspring of my own creativity yeah right? totally and once you I think once you realize that you don't have to, I'm not an artist, you're an artist. I can't, I can draw a stick man. Right. But, but the creativity is there and flowing through this imagery in our, yeah. in our gospels, yes. you know, um, in the words of Jesus, the stories of Jesus yes, that are just amazing. And this right? is really interesting. I've never thought about this. We have, you know, the object of creation, which is our Christ and the story that he lived. And then we also have creation itself, which is the life that the artist is sort of living in. 
Um, creation, the entire beginning of Genesis actually also provides more than enough artistic inspiration for sure. so much. Um, but that the first act of God, which was creation, is also the thing that makes someone like me itch and need to do something that I find beautiful or need to express. It was the thing that started the universe. I mean, that's huge, huge to me. Creation itself, God created you to be creative. You got creative and you're inspiring other people to be creative. I hope, I really hope. And I, I really think that it is not only therapeutic to create anything with a visual medium, but it's, I, I think you learn about yourself simply by making something that you didn't know you were capable of making. Um, everyone's an artist too. I really, that sounds so cliche, but I genuinely believe that everyone has that part of their soul that is absolutely very much alive. And it's the curious part of us probably too. How do we, how do we, you know, if for the people that can only draw a stick man, it's a good how do, wait, so wait, how do you get i mean how do you nurture that what what sure. is your advice to nurture the artist within i think that if you felt like okay so you, we draw the stick man the stick man is alone maybe you decide where the stick man lives and if you feel more inspired to write that down instead of to draw something else around him do that um same with music. I mean, so many times I have had an idea for a show, which most all ideas for shows are going to be pretty impossible for you to actually make happen. Uh, this is why visual art for me is amazing because I can essentially use whatever rules and guidelines I would like to, and there are no limitations. Same for writing. Um, you can really go about these things in a, in a, sense of curiosity that is never satiated. Um, I'm, I've gotten off on a tangent. This is one of those moments. <laughs> yeah. Somebody bring me back down. Well, wait, so you're, you're giving advice about how we can, how people that don't feel that they're artists can plug into their creative tivity. I, then I would also say if, if one is drawing a stick figure, you might want to just play with colors for a while. Um, and if it means layering colors on top of each other, you can have a field day with that. Um, digital media for a lot of people is way more of a resource. I'm not as great uh, or an authoritative voice on that, but I think that that's pretty much at everyone's fingertips. I mean, that's you can go true. download a little doodle app and, and doodle improve away. your stick man. And <laughs> anything would improve my stick man. We've got a group here that just made me think about the group of the sewing people that that meet here on Mondays and just sew all day long. Oh, and I love awesome. to pop in there and see them. And they are creating these beautiful things. I mean, just that's amazing quilts and yeah. you know tapestries. And then you know I've been around people that knit and you know things with with thread and yarn. I just love that idea Me too. of something that's spooled out of something. Oh, absolutely. Weaving it into something. I, mean, I just love that. I, mean, yes. I guess there are all sorts of ways of being creative where, you know, that maybe I haven't even tried yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually you were mentioning that and I kind of zoned out because there's an anecdote in the mystical city of God that I referenced that talks about, and I don't know if this is actually in 
the apocryphal texts or not, but this is certainly in the mystical city of God, that Mary, with the help of the angels, was this really extraordinary visual artist um, with seamstress work as well. And the white shroud that she knitted for her child was the same shroud that he wore every day for the rest of his life and grew with them as he grew too. Oh, cool. Uh, right. Uh, and I mean, you take that, just that little side story and there's Mary with the seamstresses. Yeah. I mean, sorry, always back to Mary, but um, she is an endless source of inspiration for the artist. There's a, there's a reason that the Madonna takes a huge place in the heart of a lot of artists of faith. Absolutely. What I was saying earlier about if if you take that saying that was on the Nietzsche's the way I took it, which is show us how to be more like a mother like you. Yeah. To the world that, you know, that means being compassionate, being open and using a little creativity that God Absolutely. made us like, yeah, you know, it really does. And it actually, it comes down to not holding on to what is most precious to you, but actually giving cultivating it, it and giving it to someone yeah. who will appreciate it beyond words and use it and pass it on to somebody else. Even too, there you go. Oh, right? that's, that's the thing. I, I really would love to do something with these rosaries where they're given mm -hmm. in, groups of three they're given for free but the object of the game for the recipient is to find two people who needed the other two rosaries more than they did themselves that's fantastic i think it could i i i just want to cover territory with that because i think that now it it saddens me that the cross has lost the respect and admiration due to it so much because of christianity itself in america and I want to get back to a place where the cross is a symbol of generosity, only generosity, only charity, where it's not a, it's not something that brings up negative feelings for folks. Giving away crosses at pride was really difficult. And I mean, they were free. They were, they were absolutely free. These were rosaries that I had made, but there was an absolutely tangible trepidation on the part of people that would otherwise have no problem grabbing that to grab a cross even free meant something deeper to them than than that they're currently in church somewhere i mean they're they're clearly coming at things with a pain associated yeah. with that so i guess part of my task i think as a christian artist is to restore the kindness and charity that needs to be associated with the cross we need right. to take that we need to take back. it back, right? Yes, we do. Well, I mean, I think, you know, Christians for thousands of years have done a really good job of not being very Christ-like, right? Absolutely. And we have done some pretty bad things in the Absolutely. name of Christianity and hurt a lot of people. And, um, you know, I yeah. I agree with your your sentiment of, of art and creativity, creating unity and peace and just reaching out, trying to make... Absolutely. You know, make the cross and Christianity more hospitable. Absolutely. And then I also want to say that giving any kind of gift in that way, it is given in a Christian way, whether or not it's a, whether or not it's a cross, if it's given out of love and selflessness, it is, it is given on behalf of Christ. So 
I don't want anyone listening to think that it has to be a cross in order for it to achieve some kind sure. of artistic merit, but that, that that's just my personal challenge that I've taken to heart. And I want to make the cross a generous and artistic object of love. What is next for you? Oh, man. What's your big dream? So, uh, oh gosh, they've changed a lot. Um, right now, though, actually for the last two and a half, three years, while working at the law office, I have decided to enter the discernment process for the oh, priesthood. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I dropped that here. I don't even know that I'm allowed to mention that. We may have to take that out. Um, but actually, and, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I am one foot in two different doors right now. I, I, I feel the artist part of me still controlling as much of me as it always has. Um, but now that I've associated that with God, I would really like to be an artist who is also a priest. Well, I think that the world needs more artistic priests, you know? I, so I, I agree. Yay for us. <laughs> I agree with you. I yay do. for us if we, if we get you. Listen, I went to seminary with a lovely person who was owned her own yoga studio before. Oh, that's awesome. And she incorporated yoga and Christianity. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's amazing. And namaste, you know, like how, you know, I recognize the light in you. Think about that as I recognize the light of Christ in you. You got it. I mean, you got it. I love that. Actually, I'm going to piggyback on this because this is another, this might veer into an intellectual conversation more than an artistic one, but I feel that what still resonates with me and the two sides of my brain, especially while I'm doing art, is a Puritan side of me and a Quaker side of me. And this idea of the light of God being outside of us, it, that's the idea now that we're, that we're actually fighting over again. I, I, I believe with all of my heart that God is to be found inside me, inside you. And that if I cannot find the God in you, that is not the fault of the other person, but the fault of myself. Mm -hmm. So I think that trusting that that light of God is in every person, that is an object of fearlessness that I think the artist has to require of herself or himself. There can be no, even if you are a person of faith, I'm trying to figure out a good way to explain this. You cannot, uh, I don't have a good way to explain it. Well, I'm sorry. I've, I've... Well, no. So I think I like where you're going with this <laughs> because that it's almost and tell me if I'm wrong. But sure. what I'm I'm feeling from that is that you're saying it's kind of the job of the artist to be able to cut through yeah. the noise yeah. to say, I recognize this light of Christ. Absolutely. And, and and we're trying to get to a place where truth is truth, right? right? I mean, we're that and that's a that's a big part of today's challenge is acknowledging what is most truthful. I really do think that art will pull out truthful things from a person engaging mm-hmm. with it. It just does that by necessity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, you're gonna be a heck of a priest. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad. I mean, this is what this is what the world needs, I think, is more beauty and truth and searching for the light of Christ in others. Yeah. And, and common ground, yeah. right? I mean, and I, I think that 
I, if I could say anything too about the realm of art, it's that artists as a community, I cry often tears of joy thinking about the amount of people that I came to love so much in New York City and know that that was not church by definition, but those souls and the warmth of a community of artists, that is something that we should try and reflect in, in other aspects of society. Yeah. And usually it comes down to just taking the other person exactly as they are, no matter what else they, they bring with them. I mean, it really is a, it's a method of accepting everything on equal, equal terms. I also think, you know, too, you think about artist communities and which makes me think of intentional communities, religious oh, communities, yes. which makes me think that, you know, if we don't have the luxury of going away to a beautiful Rocky Island somewhere, <laughs> um, right. that there needs to be more work around trying to form these communities in these places, in these urban places. I think you're right. That need this beauty and need this community. I and think you're right. art is just one way that we can all yeah. connect and make up a, a concrete place, a beautiful place. Yes. And you know yes, absolutely. And it can be more accepting for the people that can only draw up and the stick. Oh, there will be a whole stick person section. <laughs> yes. I'll start the stick man section. But, you know, I just, I kind of like where you're going with that because I think that there is this, this notion of um, a common goal in, in an intentional community and that yeah. we need to bring art into our communities to um, intentionally to, to, to worship. Yeah, you're you know? exactly right. I, I, I get really excited by that. And because I, I also imagine I have never visited a mosque before, but I want to do it in a big way. I mean, I want to see one with the minarets. I want to see the glittering domes. I see that as art. I see a mosque as divine as I imagine anyone would who has an opportunity to take a breath and enter one. I think that that line of reasoning too it puts the world's major religions in a unified camp. Art can speak. I, we can speak to one another through that language where we can't through our scriptures that we bring. Mm -hmm. But when we're honoring the creator, when we're honoring the creator's mother, which the Quran does better than our own Bible, it's the same. It is the same language. It is the glorification of God. Absolutely. Well, we need you to come to my church and start an artist community. So, okay. you know, I'm just saying, I'm just planting the seed. I would, I would love that. Just plant the really seed. I would really love that. Well, I mean, I have really enjoyed talking to you today and I've enjoyed hearing your viewpoints about Mary and art and well, the intersection of art and faith and it's just been very interesting. And it's I'm, affirmative, isn't it? It's it is nice, affirmative. It's nice to hear your words too. And I feel guess. more creative just being in oh, conversation with you. Thank you. Thank so, you so much. And I much. hope everybody that hears this feels like they can just go draw a stick man right now. Oh, it's going to be glorious. <laughs> with colors and beauty and everything else. So I just really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Faithfully Memphis. 
with your host today, Lisa McIndoo. I'm the rector of Holy Apostles Church out in Collierville. And if you don't live in Collierville, it's really not that far of a drive. We're at 1380 Wolf River Boulevard. Our church backs up to the Wolf River Nature Preserve. It's beautiful and lovely, and you should come out here and worship with us. Our worship is at 10 o'clock on Sundays, and we also have a 5 o'clock bluegrass mass on Sunday's night, Sunday nights. It is just awesome. So either one, come out and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thanks.